Okay, grab your Bibles or turn them on. So we're going to be continuing um, just where we, from where we left off last week. So just a quick recap. Jesus talked about what subject more than anything else other than the kingdom of God itself? Anybody remember? Money. Surprise, surprise. Jesus talked more about money than almost anything else. And in the past, many churches, religious organizations, groups, denominations, etc., have quite frankly misused and abused some of the teachings Jesus gave on money and some of what the Bible says about money. And there's been coercion and there's been guilt tripping. And uh, for a lot of people, they, they hear a sermon about, like the pastor starts out talking about money and right away they're thinking, pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip about why I should give more money to the church. And um, that's all very unfortunate. And we talked about that last week and I repented on behalf of leaders and pastors who have done that, because that's not good. That's, that's not what we're supposed to do. And that's not even what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about money. When he does, he's not guilt-tripping people into what they should or shouldn't do with it. We also talked about how tithing, great, give 10%. If, if you feel led to do that, that's wonderful. But it's not a requirement under the new covenant like it was under the old covenant. Because there's no requirement under the new covenant except Jesus. We enter the new covenant through Jesus, period. Okay, the old covenant, there was a lot of stuff you had to do, right? A lot of laws, a lot of things you had, to, you had to do. The new covenant is called a better covenant because all you have to do is receive Christ. That's it. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus tithing or Jesus plus going to church or Jesus plus doing whatever else your specific group says you should do. <laughs> it's Jesus, period. Okay? Now, is tithing good? Sure it is. I'm, I'm not, I'm not anti-tithing, but I am anti the idea that if you don't tithe, you're under a curse, and God's going to be super mad at you. Because that's, that's no longer true, because Jesus became the curse for us. That's Galatians 3.13. Okay, are we with me so far? So that's kind of a recap of what we talked about. We started talking about money tests, and that one of the purposes of money in our lives is that God, it's a very easy way for God to test us in a lot of things, specifically to test us in trust. And we looked at Matthew 6, which is a famous passage where Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry about money. It's like, easy for you to say, Jesus. You're God. You own everything, right? Uh, well, at the time, he didn't own anything at all. Did you, do you know how Jesus' ministry was supported? Anybody know? A bunch of ladies. We don't know much about them. Were, were they married? Were they widowed to rich husbands or something? We don't know. But these women who were, part, who were among Jesus' disciples, not the 12 disciples, but he had a lot of disciples, right? And so these women were funding the ministry, which means paying for everybody's food because they're not working most of the time, right? Paying for food, paying for ministry expenses, paying for lodging, paying to travel, all that kind of stuff. And so these ladies were paying his expenses. Jesus wasn't magically making gold appear all the time. He made a coin appear out of a fish's mouth once for Peter, uh, which is a whole other thing. Um, I wish God would pay my taxes that way, you know, that a fish would show up uh, with a check in its mouth or something like that. It has yet to happen. Um, but that's how Peter got to pay his taxes once, so that's fun. Um, but most of the time, it's not miraculous like that. Most of the time, God uses the everyday stuff of money 
and he uses it to teach us lessons. And the first lesson is don't worry. Trust God for provision. And that can be a tough lesson to learn, but it's the first one that we all have to learn. We all have to learn that God is God loves us and he is good. And if those two things are true, then we can always trust him, right? If he loves us and he is good and he can't not be good, then we can trust him no matter what is happening, even when we don't see. And that's what faith is. Faith is trusting God even when we don't see, even when our circumstances look terrible or we simply can't see into the future like God can. But we trust him anyway, despite all that. That's why I picked the Trust in You song today. It's because, like, I like that song because it's just like, even when you don't answer me, even when you don't move the mountains, I'm going to trust you anyway. I would like you to move them, just to be clear, okay? But if you don't, I'm still going to trust you. Because maybe God has another plan. Maybe he wants to teach you how to hike a mountain so that you can get good at it and you can help other people hike it. I don't know. But God does. And if we trust him, because we know he loves us and we know he's good, then we can follow him anywhere. And that's very true with money. And money is a simple thing. And I'll, and I'll get back to this verse later, but Jesus says, if I, can't, if I can't trust you with money, how can I trust you with true riches? If God can't trust us with money, how in the world would he trust us with anything that really matters? And Jesus just leaves it at that to say, hey, look, you need to learn how to walk the way God wants you to walk with your finances and learn how to be good stewards. And once you prove to God that you can be a good steward in the area of money, then he will allow you to become a steward over other things. And we're going to look at one of those parables in just a second. So, anybody have any questions on that or on what we talked about last time? All right. So, why don't you open your Bibles to, mm, let's do Luke 16. No, let's do Matthew 6. Sorry, there's just so many. So many of these parables we could go with. Actually, I don't think we need to recap Matthew 6. I, I gave you guys homework to read Matthew 6, the worry passage. Did anybody come up with anything or feel like God said anything specific to them about this whole first money test, the don't worry about money thing that they feel like sharing? Obviously, you don't have to share, but if anybody feels like sharing. Alexander, yeah. Re real loud, maybe aim it that way so they can hear. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that's, uh, that's one of those areas where you, you can read it in the Bible, but then when you start to apply it in your life, you get it more. You're like, oh, right, okay, this is a real thing. I actually do have to do this. Because we read, don't be anxious about stuff, don't worry about money, and we think, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. You know? And then we get a bill in the mail, or we get our check, and we're like, how much did they take out? And, and all of a sudden, we very quickly start getting anxious and worried or mad <laughs> or upset when we got out of the Air Force and, and Sarah got her first paycheck um, where we had to pay state taxes and all that kind of stuff. We're no longer in the military. It was like, what? I worked so much just for all those people that took my money. Yeah. It, it, it is worthy of tears. But at the same time, everything we have belongs to God. And we talked about that last week. That's stewardship. 100% of what we have belongs to God. And the wonderful and freeing thing about that is we don't have to worry even when we get the paycheck. Because you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're being responsible. You're working. We're not talking about being lazy here. Just be lazy and God will take care of you. That's not what Matthew 6 is talking about. Okay? It's saying you do your part. You're active. You're responsible. Okay? And as we all know, sometimes you can be very responsible and work really hard and still not have enough. Right? And God is saying, trust me. Okay? Trust me in those circumstances. I'm going to take care of you. If I take care of the flowers that are dressed way better than any of you, certainly I'm going to take care of you, right? And I think that's a, it's, it's just such a great point, but it needs to hit home, and we need to walk it out day by day, and that's when it starts getting difficult because we look at that check or we look at the bill that comes, um, and we have to be like, okay, this is, this is my practice not worrying now. I need to practice not being anxious now. I need to give this to the Lord. I need to, and it helps to remember that 100% of what we have belongs to God. He knows what you need. He knows what he's given you. And he knows what's coming next. And what's coming after that. And what's coming after that. Those aren't surprises to him. And so when we remember that it's all God's money, so if I have to pay a bunch of it to fix my car, which was our example last week, or if I have to pay a bunch of it to do this or to do that, I'm not going to worry about that. Because it's God's money. He knew the car was going to break. He could have kept it from breaking. So it's on him, right, kind of, <laughs> that it broke. And so he gave me money to fix it, or he will, or I'll go without a car. And I give examples of us having experienced all of those things in our lives, going without a car for two years, having God miraculously fix a car, and giving us money to buy a car. And we've experienced all those within a, just a few years of each other. And so either way, we trust God, no matter what it is that he's called us to go through. Um, turn ahead to Matthew 25. And we're going to go through this parable in just a minute here. So um, one of the other things that stewardship allows us to do, again, stewardship, this idea that God has given us what we have. And we are stewards of our master's property. Right? And that's the parable that we're about to read. One of the things that it frees us to do is it frees us to be generous. Did anybody, has anyone ever wished that they could be in charge of spending someone else's money? Don't you think that would, like, be a cool job? Like, there was a TV show or a sh movie, I don't remember what it was, and somebody was like, I want to give all my money away or give X amount of, here's, here's a, a couple million dollars. I want you to, I don't have time to figure out who to give it to. You be in charge of giving this money away to people who need money deserve it, right? And I was like, that would be the coolest job. <laughs> Congress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
their stewardship isn't so good, I don't think. Uh, maybe, but that's another topic. That's another topic. But um, so the reality is that is our life. Whatever it is God's given us, that's God having given us money and said, here, you're in charge of this now. Some of it goes to those who need it. Some of it goes to you because you need to live. And some of it goes to other things. How are we going to spend that money? How are we going to spend God's money? What are we going to do with it? And when we understand that, it frees us to be generous. Because when we see something that we're like, oh, I'd love to give to that, but, you know, I don't have all that much money or I'm saving the money for this or that. But we see something and we're like, ooh, we can ask God, God, is this something you want to spend your money on? Is this a place you want to give? And God might be like, I would love to do that. And then we can give it. And we don't have to worry about, but I was saving that money for my car. Um, and when we first start walking into this kind of obedience, where we just say, God, where do you want me to spend your money? And we obey. Um, it can be tough. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I remember I was sitting in a, like a conference or something one time, and I said, God, how much do you want me to give? And he said, give everything in your wallet. And I was like, what's in my wallet? And I looked in there, and unusually, there was a bunch of money in there. <laughs> and then I remembered there were things I was going to buy with that money. Um, and I was going to go out with my friends after, after it was one of the Holy Spirit conferences. I was going to go out with my friends afterwards and go to the restaurant and have food. And if I give everything in my wallet, then I don't have money to fellowship. And is it not? So I, I'm sort of like trying to rationalize myself out of doing what I heard God say, which was just take out your wallet, empty it, put it in there. And so I like wrestled with it a little bit. And then I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, God. So I, I did it. But that was one of those like where I passed the test because I obeyed but I got like a seat, okay? Because I'm trying to rationalize my way out of it the whole time, and I didn't really want to do it, and I gave it almost begrudgingly. But at least I obeyed, so I technically passed, okay? Um, and last, I was talking with Chris Alex last time afterwards, and he said that gave him a lot of comfort, the, the idea that you can pass as long as you obey, even if you didn't do that great along the way. Sometimes we're too hard on ourselves, right? But over time, I've learned to... to, to Stop those kind of arguments and rationalizations because time after time and year after year after year, God has shown us that he knows what he's doing with his money and that the money he's given us is not ours. It's his to do with what he asks us to do. And every single time that we've done something like that, we've ended up with plenty ourselves. Okay? And that, that actually that particular day, um, so I gave everything, and then we all went out to Perkins, I think, afterwards, and I just didn't order anything because I didn't have any money. Right? And then one of my friends is like, you're not going to order anything? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. You're good. Like, I know you, Nate. It's been several hours since you've eaten. You want to eat again. And I'm like, ah, it's fine, it's fine. And so they, she pushed and pushed. And finally I was like, look, I gave all my money away, okay? <laughs> I'm not supposed to broadcast that, right? You're supposed to give it in secret? Uh, at least sometimes. And so I'm like, hey, just, God said give it all in the offerings. I don't know. And... And she's like, oh, really? That's cool. Okay, well, let me buy you something. And then I'm like, uh, now I feel guilty. Now I'm like, am I mooching now off this person? I don't want this to be like a thing. Oh, I gave all my money away, so someone has to buy me food. Can I get the steak? Um, and, and so I, that now I'm conflicted. I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, ah, I feel super awkward. And plus, it's a girl, and I wasn't married. And, and it was like a whole thing. And I'm like, is this a thing? And so I'm like, all these things are happening in my brain. In, you, know, you know how it does. In like two seconds, you have all these different thoughts. Um, and God's like, 
You obeyed when I asked you to be generous. Are you going to deny her her opportunity to be generous? I gave you an opportunity, and you obeyed. And now I'm giving her an opportunity. Are you going to block that? And I was like, well, no. That would be wrong. OK, then just shut up and take it. Eat the pancakes. And I was like, OK. And one of the things God teaches us when he's teaching us about stewardship is not just learning how to give, but it's learning how to receive. And some of us need to learn more how to receive because God is a good father who loves giving good gifts to his kids. Jesus says that straight out, okay? That means sometimes God wants to bless you. And at the end, on the one hand, someone might say, well, I don't really view all my money as God's, so I'm just going to spend money on myself, and they buy themselves something they want, okay? That's great. They got what they want. That's cool. Now you have the other person who says, no, everything is God's, and I'm going to spend the money the way I want to spend it. And God says, I want you to have that thing. Spend the money on that. Or someone else gives it to you or whatever it is. You love that so much more. You appreciate it so much more when it's a gift than when you had to buy it yourself. I mean, there's a sense of appreciation when you have to earn it. But when it's a gift, it's something different. It's special. And God loves giving gifts. He's a gift giver. It's who he is. He's generous. That is part of his nature. He can't help but be generous. And so when we are following stewardship, when we act this way, when we live this way, he wants to be generous with us and give us good gifts. And some of us need to learn how to be a little better at receiving from God and maybe receiving from others, too. Because especially when I was younger, I, buy me a meal? No, that was hard for me. I was, nah, no. You know? And so God had to teach me, no, you, ha- you need to learn how to receive. You need to learn how to receive and let people be generous to you. And so part of this generosity thing is learning to be generous with ourselves, learning to allow God and others to be generous with us, and also learning to be generous to others. So one time uh, we had a, a close friend, and they were married and in seminary and not, didn't have much money, et cetera, et cetera, right? And um, wow, it's like Princess Leia hair with pink flowers. That's, that's beautiful, sweetie. I love it. Um, and so our friends were, were, were real poor, and they had a second-hand mattress, which I think is gross anyway, to have a second-hand mattress personally. And this was maybe third-hand, and, like, you could see, you know, like, divots and stuff. So they had a really bad bed, but they couldn't afford to buy a new bed. They just didn't have any money. And so Sarah, after we had been at their place doing dinner or something, she's like, what do you think about buying them a bed? And this is when I was still in seminary. She was in med school. We didn't have a lot of money, okay? So she's like, what do you think? I kind of want to buy them a bed. Is that weird? Is it weird to buy people a bed? So we had to think about that, first of all. Is this weird? Here's a bed. You know, it seems kind of strange. But we were very close with them, so we decided it wouldn't be that awkward. It would be fine. Um, But, you know, could have spent that money on other stuff. I had plans for that money, you know? We don't just have a ton of money sitting around in accounts accruing grand amounts of interest. Not at this stage, certainly. And so she has this desire to be generous. And so we just prayed about it. We're like, God, what do you think? Is this okay? Is this just our idea? If it was just our idea, I think God would actually be okay with it because I think he's okay with generosity, even if it's not his idea. That's my personal opinion. Um, like if, if I give Andrew a candy bar and he decides I'm going to share this candy bar with the three other kids, 
that are in this room. That wasn't my idea, but I sure do love that. That he wants to be generous and give, don't I? Of course I do. That makes me proud of him. I want him to do that. Good job, Andrew, on your hypothetical sharing of your candy bar. <laughs> Remember that. Yes, ask parents before you give out candy, though. That, that's also good. <laughs> Pastor sued because he suggests child share a peanut-ridden candy bar. Um, so I think, I think God's in favor of generosity. But, but, we, but this was a lot of money, you know, so we prayed about it. And we felt like God was like, we're like, God, is this a fun way to spend your money? Like, do you, what, are you on board with this? It's your money. What do you think? And we both felt like God was like, yeah, great idea. It wasn't my idea. This is God talking. It wasn't my idea, but I love it. It's great. Good idea. Way to, way to think and way to react. And, and so we're like, okay. And then, so we, we kind of talked about it for a while. And then, anyway, someplace had a crazy mattress sale to, like, confirm to us, you know, to confirm to us that this is what we were supposed to do. And so we were able to get him a super nice bed um, for the, an amount of money that we could afford. And so we did it, and we do, had it delivered to their apartment, and it was super awesome. Plus, I didn't have to carry a mattress. Um, so that was the best part of the story for me. Um, no. So, I mean, that's an example of just being generous and listening to God and doing what he says. It's his money, and it made us so happy to be able to do that. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. And so remember the story, when I first started doing this, I was a little begrudging. I'm like, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to do it. So I obeyed, but like barely, right? And over time, by doing this over and over and over again, God has shown me that, no, this is my stuff. You get to use it while you're here on earth, and using it is fun. Not all the ways, you, I don't love paying the garbage bill and doing all that stuff, but I'm thankful that somebody picks up my trash, and I don't have to burn it like my grandpa did, you know? Um, and... So stewardship is fun. I really do love doing this now. And um, there, there was one year, it was at the end of the year, and we had been, we had been giving really well all year. And then um, they were actually raising money to dig wells in Africa, South Sudan, what is now South Sudan. There was still at war at the time. Um, that's just north of Uganda, for those of you who are wondering. So digging wells in Africa. And I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. And God's like, I want you to write a check. And I'm like, okay. And we'd already done all our giving. It's December, you know. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, $5,000. And I'm like, five what now? I was unemployed at this time, okay? And we had a little bit of money in savings, but I, that was, I was saving for the next vehicle we were going to need. You know, our car was still working, but that doesn't last forever, you know? And so we had the money. Um, but that wasn't the plan, <laughs> God, this isn't the plan. You, you told us how much to give, and we've been giving that much, and now you asked us to give more. And he had done that before. This wasn't the first time, but this is the first time it was like, boom, like a huge, huge amount of money. Ah. And so, oh, I, I, at first I tried to be like, I don't think I heard right. Sorry, you know. Um, I talked about it with Sarah, and she's like, awesome. I'm like, really? I was hoping you would talk me out of this one. Um, but I, I didn't stay like that for long. It was a day or two. And then I'm like, you know what? I think, I think I'm going to do this. And God's like, only give this if you want to. This is an optional one. And I'm like, what? And he's like, this isn't a command. You must give this. This is an optional one. A suggestion, baby. And I'm like, oh, this is a trick, right? Isn't God's suggestions, doesn't that count as a command? But no, he was saying, here is an opportunity 
for you to be extra generous. I think it's a great opportunity, but it's up to you. And then I was like, whoa, okay. But interestingly enough, that freedom made me want to do it more, and it made me enjoy it. And we did it, and we enjoyed it. We loved it. I loved giving that check. Whereas before, I would have obeyed, but it would have been really hard. It would have been a step of faith, difficult one. But when he gave me the freedom and said, this is not a requirement. I'm not going to smite you. Okay? The smite button is not in play. Just do what it is that you feel called to do. And then I really, really, really loved giving that money. And we were so happy. I mean, it, and I have tons and tons of stories like that, both of me not doing so well <laughs> with God giving me directives and with me um, doing a little better. The, the three main ways, I think there are three simple steps to being a good steward. We're going to look at this in the parable in three seconds. Um, the three simple ways are this. One, be active. Stewards are active. We're not passive. We don't sit around saying, God's going to give me whatever money he's going to give me, and then I'm going to spend it if somebody shows up at my doorstep or whatever. Like, we're not passive about this. We're active, okay? We're active. We're responsible parties in our finances and in our stewardship. Two, we ask the Lord, the master, what he wants us to do with the money. And three, we obey. And that's it. That's pretty much it. It's those three simple things. Now, sometimes we ask and we maybe don't hear, and that means he trusts us to use our best judgment. Because as if, if any of you have ever trained employees or maybe been trained, when you're first training someone, you're kind of on them, right? You ride them maybe a little hard until they get it, until they get it down. Eventually, you give them more, more leeway. You give them more responsibility and more of their own control. And eventually, if they're a really good steward, a really good worker, a really good whatever, you're like, no, you're, you're in charge. Just do it, man. You're good. I trust you. Okay? And that's what stewardship is about. God is saying, I trust you with this amount. I trust you. And sometimes, I think we always need to ask God and obey if he, if he says something. But sometimes he doesn't. Many times, in my experience. I've been sharing a lot of stories about when he has. But sometimes he doesn't. And we're, we need to just use our best judgment. We can ask for help. We can ask for guidance. But he trusts us to use our best judgment. And eventually there will be an accounting. Right? So let's look at this. Uh, Matthew 25, starting with the verse 14. Um, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So here's a servant entrusting his property, or here's a master entrusting property to his servants. So this is our, our stewardship model. To one he gave five talents. A talent is a bunch of money. Okay? And he gave five times a bunch of money. To another two talents, to another one, to each according to their ability, okay? So one of them hadn't really proven themselves real well yet, so he gave one sum of money. To another one, he had proven himself to be a good, a good servant, a good steward, so he gave twice that amount. And to another person, he had really proven himself. He showed that he really had ability, so he was given five sums of money. And a talent is a ton of money, by the way. So this is the dream. This is my dream. Somebody shows up and here's a million bucks. Spend it wisely. Um, but in this case, it's not give it away. It's make me more money. Here you go. And he who received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more talents. So he invested this money or he bought a business or something. He used his money to make more money. And notice it says then at once. So this is active. Okay, we are active participants in stewardship. We're not passive. We don't sit around and wait for God to say, write me that big check. We are active in this. We're involved. In other words, we say things like, 
God, is there a way I could make more money in my job? And we ask him that. Should I get a different job that pays me better? Should we start a second job to get a little more income? Or should we um, make some investment and buy a little, a little part in a company or something that generates some income? How should we use this money? Is there a way we can make you more money, God? That's part of what stewardship is. And we can ask those sort of questions. It's not just about how we spend. It's also about how we earn. And so we can ask God to help us with that. And there's, there's this weird thing in Christianity where people think it's bad to earn money. And it is not. Like, this is very clear here. This guy earned a whole ton of money. And what did his master say? That's terrible. Money is evil. You shouldn't earn money. No. He praises him. Right? And so it is not in any way bad to work hard to try to earn more money. You're not earning more money so that you can spend it selfishly on yourself. God might let you spend some of that on yourself, and that's wonderful, and that's great. But you're earning money so that you can get more money for God, so that you can build wells in Uganda, so that you can you know, feed starving children, so that you can do whatever it is that God is calling you to be a part of doing. And the more money you earn, the more you can do with that money, right? And so... I know a lot of Christians who are very passive when it comes to job earning. And I'm always like trying to light a fire under them. No, you deserve more money. Ask for it. Go ask. You have not because you ask not. Another Bible verse, right? So ask the Lord, is there a way I should be making more money? Should I invest differently? Should I get a new job? What, what should I do? Ask God. You might be surprised at the ideas God has. God once gave me an idea that generated $100,000. No joke. I was church planting, which does not pay well, okay? And he gave me this idea to have a little startup business, and it lasted four years, and I made about 100 grand in those four years, which financed the church and a new car and moving to Ohio and all this kind of stuff and buying the down payment for our house there in Ohio. God paid for all of that with an idea. Now, I had to work hard. He didn't put a check in my mailbox and run away. <laughs> He said, here's an idea. If you follow through with this idea, that would be good for you. So I did, and I followed through more and more and more and more. I invested all the money I made back into it, and then eventually there was no, no more to invest, so I just started reaping, and I rep, reap, repped, re reaped, roped. I got money, folks. I got paid, y'all. And it was awesome. And so maybe God will give you some ideas. Maybe God has some ideas where you can make some more money because it's his money. And so, he, of course, he wants you to make more. That's just obvious. Okay, so um, this guy immediately goes out and invests these, these five talents in order to make more. And then it said, verse 17, he also who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. That's the passive one, okay? We're not supposed to be passive in stewardship. We're supposed to be active in stewardship. We're asking God, where do we give this money? We're not just hanging on to it, okay? We're not hoarding. We're not just collecting as much as we can because eventually we'll be taken over by somebody else and we need all that money, which will do you no good at that point. If the, if the government falls and the dollar ends, your dollars will be worthless anyway. So why are we hoarding them? And burying gold in the ground won't do you any good because no one cares about gold when they're starving. Okay, so this guy is not doing the right thing, right? He's not being a good steward 
of what it is God has given him. He is totally passive. He's not engaged at all. He's not willing to give. He's not willing to invest. He's not willing to earn. He just does nothing. Um, and there's, there's reasons for that. Um, well, I'll just keep reading. Um, now, not, after not a long time, this is verse 19, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the one talent went, oh, sorry, and he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made you five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been fruitful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Okay? So, well done, good and faithful servant. We all want to hear that. Did you guys realize that that phrase was in the context of money? We all want to hear that about being a good servant of God on earth when we get to heaven. We want to learn that we were a good servant. And that's true. But the context here is how we spend our money. Well done, good and faithful servant. You spent my money wisely. That's what we want to do. It says, you've been put over a little, and now I will set you over much. In other words, um, God has given you responsibility and stewardship over this amount. Once you prove faithful, he now allows you to be a steward over this amount. And if you prove faithful, he allows you to be a steward over this amount. And if you prove faithful, he allows you to be a steward over this amount. Okay? This is not prosperity theology. This is Bible. This is the law of sowing and reaping. This is the way stewardship works. If you are faithful in little, you will be given more, period. That is a law of the universe that existed before the fall of mankind. Stewardship was in the Garden of Eden. Adam, Eve, here's all the stuff I have given you. Enjoy my creation and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and take care of all the stuff I've given you. That's stewardship right at the beginning. Stewardship isn't a part of the fall. It's, it's not an old covenant versus new covenant thing. It's woven into the very fabric of creation. This idea of us being stewards of God's stuff, as well as the law of sowing and reaping. It's woven into the fabric of the universe. That's why other religions have stumbled across it. Right? Like um, karma. Karma is the Hindu twisting of the concept of sowing and reaping. Right? Um, and they, they, they get it wrong at the end, but, but th they saw that this just happens. This works. Okay? And uh, non-Christian companies have also learned that if they give 10% or more of their profits, they end up with more profits. That's what non-Christian companies, a lot of them, give. Target, a, a bunch of these totally non-Christian companies have realized that if they give, they will make more money. And they don't know why, but they do it because it works. They don't care why. A nerd says, here's the math. And they'll say, okay, if I'll make more money, I'm in. And they do it. Okay, so this is a law that God is trying to teach us, but he wants us to be active partners with this. He doesn't want us to just stumble into this. He wants us to be active partners with the stewardship. Okay, um, where was I? 22, and he also went to the one who had two who came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, there's that word again, joy. Stewardship, giving, is supposed to be joyful. God loves to give. He is generous. He loves to give. Our giving needs to be joyful. That's why tithing can't be a law. It can't be a requirement. It can't be something that somebody up front says, you must do this. Because that's not the point. 
The point is we need to enter into the joy of our master who is generous, okay? And we get to be a part of that generosity, and it's incredibly fun. And I know a lot of you have already gotten to this place in your stewardship walk. Okay, there's levels in stewardship like with anything else. And I know a lot of you have already gotten to this place where you're like, yeah, I get to give money away this week, and it's so awesome. I'm so excited. And that's a wonderful place to get to, and I hope, you, I hope we all get there. But it starts somewhere. And if you're in a spot where you're like, I don't make a lot of extra money, I can give like $10 a month, do that. Give $10 a month. That's a great place to start. The person who writes a $1,000 check every month isn't better than the person who writes a $10 check every month. They're just at different places of earning. That person who was writing a check for 1000 might have started out giving 10 bucks in the offering. I started giving on my allowance when I was a little kid. Not legalistically, but I just gave out of what I had because I saw it in the Bible and I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. And over years and years and years and years and years of that, God has given us more and more and more and more and more so that we have more to give. It's always stewardship. You never graduate from stewardship and it's like, okay, you've been a good steward, you've sowed a lot of seeds, now you're going to reap and now you get to quit and spend all your money on yourself. <laughs> like, that's not how it works. We don't get to that spot. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't let you spend some of his money on yourself. He absolutely does. Yes, he wants you to buy this house. You, he knows you need a car. So, you know, like that, I'm not saying... Give everything you have away and live in a tent on someone else's lawn. Like, that's, that's probably not God's will for you. Um, I'm not going to say for sure, because I don't know. <laughs> but probably not. Um, but it doesn't matter where you are at in the process. We want to be active in it. And remember the widow who gave the two cents? All the Pharisees were going up giving their gold. Look, I'm giving all this money. And they were, like, making a big show of it, right? So they've lost it right there because they're doing it for the wrong reasons. They're doing it for man's glory, or they're doing it out of uh, legalism or something like that. There's no joy in that. And the woman goes up and she gives her two cents. And Jesus is like, everybody see that? Did everybody see what just happened? And they're like, yeah, we saw that silly old lady giving two cents. What's the point of giving two cents? Two cents won't help anybody. It's silly. And Jesus is like, she gave more than everybody else. And they're like, Jesus I know you probably didn't take math, but two cents is less than a big chunk of gold. That's how money works. Um, but she, Jesus says she gave all she had. So, of course, that's more than the person who gave a bunch. She gave everything she had. And so it's not about how much you have to give. It's not about, oh, a dollar in the offering isn't going to do any good. That, that's not what it's about. It's about obedience. It's about doing what it is God is calling you to do. And so if you see that homeless guy and you see him every day on your way to work and you're like, oh, I've been praying for this guy and, and you like feel like God wants you to give him some money, what are you going to do? But I don't have much to give. I got like a buck and change in my pocket. That's not going to do much. doesn't matter. Just obey. Just obey. And those are, those are all stewardship tests. Those are money tests. Every little thing. Whenever God asks you to do something, it's a money test. Whenever you find yourself lacking finances, that's a money test. If you get fired, if you get laid off, if you get your hours cut, anything that threatens to dry up your finances, that's a money test. And it's an opportunity for you to trust in God, to not panic and not get worried, but to trust in God and to increase your faith. And... Um, Sarah and I experienced this time and time and time again. Now, um, obviously, he gets to the last steward, 
who hid the money and uh, he's got this big excuse as to why he didn't do it. And the excuse shows that he didn't understand his master at all because he had this wrong idea of who his master was, um, which is a problem. If we don't understand who God is, if we have a wrong idea of who God is, we're not going to get the stewardship thing. Right? Yeah. 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 No, he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't need to. He's like, okay, let's say that's true. Even if you're right, and I am mean, and I do, and I am scrupulous and do all this stuff, you should have at least put it to, into the bank so I would have got some interest. Okay? So there's no excuse to you no matter what. Um, and God does this a lot. Jesus does this all the time, actually, putting God in the bad position like he's the unjust judge. God's not an unjust judge. So why does Jesus tell a parable where God's an unjust judge? Because we think he is sometimes. Sometimes we think of God as an unjust judge, which is not true. But he doesn't defend himself. Instead, he says, even if that's true, if you keep praying, he will eventually give you what you want. Even if that's true, which it's not, but even if it were. And the friend who won't give the bread, I need bread for my friends. No. And the friend is God the Father. Wait, God's a stinger, stingy Scrooge guy who won't give you bread? That's mean. And Jesus isn't saying God's like that. He's saying, but even if you were like that, because that's how you think of him, you think God is cheap. You think he won't give you what you need. Certainly won't give you what you want. That's how we think God is. And he's like, even if that were true, if you keep asking me, I'll eventually give in. And then at the end of that passage, this is Luke 11, he says, You're, you who are fathers know how to give good gifts to your kids, and you love doing that. How much more does your heavenly father love to give good gifts to his kids? Okay? God loves to be generous. So this, this, so this servant... He is called by Jesus here, a wicked and slothful or lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I haven't sown, gather where I haven't scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers and gotten some interest. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. But take the talent from him. So the others, they're like, here's five. And they're like, great, you keep that five, here's five more. Now you have ten, right? Here's the two, and I urge you two more. Okay, you keep all that. Go be my steward still. And this guy, here's, here's the one that's dirty because I buried it and didn't do anything with it. Take that away from him. So now he has nothing. So if we're not good stewards, that's not good for us. Now, am I saying God's going to curse you and make you poor and all this kind of stuff if you're bad stewards? No, that's not what I'm saying. But, but he doesn't get the you will be put over much. You will receive other blessings, spiritual blessings. If I can't trust you with money, how am I going to trust you with what's really important? is what Jesus says later on. And so the person who hasn't learned stewardship, who hasn't learned how to trust God with money and pass those tests of faith, isn't going to be given an awesome ministry or an awesome opportunity to do something spiritual. Or they're, they're praying for these people and their family to come to God, and they don't understand why nothing's happening. Like, if, if we haven't passed our stewardship tests, we're not going to get the other stuff. Does that make sense? And, and the stewardship tests aren't all about giving money away. It's about being wise and spending um, what it is that God wants you to do, as well as earning. All these guys, they went on to earn. They were active. These were not lazy people. Um, and we've experienced this time and time again. When we first got married, we started giving 10% just because that's what we were accustomed to doing growing up. Um, not as a legalistic thing, but that's what God told us to do. And um, we were poor. 
like we made like six thousand dollars a year to both of us together <laughs> okay and we lived on loans for the rest of it because we were still in college um but we still gave because that's what we felt like was important to do and so we weren't able to give much we were the widow giving the two cents but that's that's fine we, we were giving what we could and we were being obedient and that's what matters and this is tough for young people especially and I want to encourage you guys who are younger, don't fall for the idea that, oh, when I have money, I'll give. Right now, I don't have money, so I'm not going to give. But eventually, when I have money, I'll give. First of all, if you're not a good steward now, chances are you'll never have a big abundance of money. Because if you're, if you're faithful and little, you'll be given more. That being given more might never happen if you're not faithful and little, first of all. Second of all, if we don't learn how to be good stewards now when we don't have anything, I guarantee you, you will not give when you have a bunch. You might give a little, but you won't give anything of meaning, even when you do have money. And I know people who are like this. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll give later on when I get my job and when I have money and everything, then I'll start giving, then I'll start being generous, then I'll start doing whatever it is you're saying I should do. Um, and now they've got really nice jobs and they don't do anything. Because selfishness leads to other selfishness. Stewardship leads to other stewardship. Generosity leads to other generosity. Sowing and reaping, okay? Um, so yeah, we, we've done that and God has taken us you know, from place after place after place and we have experienced a lot of money tests and we, we shared some of those last week. Um, we've, we've experienced getting laid off and we've experienced not having jobs and we've experienced cars blowing up and we've experienced God saying, spend all my money in this place and then we don't have the money to spend on what we were going to spend it on. And, and those are all tests and they can be tough, okay? But no matter where we're at in life in stewardship, we're going to face money tests. We're going to face more of them because God uses these to increase our faith. And we talked about this last week. When you're in a test, a money test, it increases your faith because you're forced to trust God. You're forced to trust him. Say, okay, Lord, I don't see how this is going to work, but I trust you. And that brings more trust. And also then when God comes through on what it is you need, if that's the kind of test it is, that you need something and you don't have it, when God comes through, that increases your faith big time. Okay? And this has happened to us so many times. And for a lot of you here, I bet God is testing you now. I bet a lot of you here are on a money test right now in one degree or another. Or have recently come out of one or are about to go into one. And we don't have to worry about those. We don't have to worry about them because it's all God's money. And we're stewards. And so when we go into those tests, we can be like, okay, I, I used to hate them. I used to hate these tests. Again, haven't I proven that I'll, that I'll be good? Uh, you know, and like, because I didn't get it quite yet. Um, I thought I had graduated up to here, and really I just made it to step two, you know. <laughs> um, we always tend to think we're a little further along than we really are. Um, and, but eventually I, I gave that up and, and got to the point where I really like tests now. I really like money tests because God has proven to me over and over again, year after year after year, what's going to happen next. He's going to show up and do something awesome. Or he's going to turn me down a different road that I didn't even know existed. And that's going to be great. He's going to show himself to be a strong, mighty, awesome God in a way that maybe I haven't seen or haven't experienced before or to a level that I haven't seen or haven't experienced before. Um, and sometimes these tests are tied to other things. Like God, uh, like one, this is one for, for us personally. Um, I graduated college. We graduated together and I was going to go to seminary and I was planning to go to, to Princeton um, get a 
master's degree, PhD, teach at a seminary, that sort of thing. And, or somewhere out there. And then God's like, I want you to go to the Master's Institute, which is this new startup seminary that at that time was not accredited. Um, and so you can't get any loans. Or you, and, you can't defer, and you can't defer the loans that you have now. Yeah. Whereas if you go into an accredited graduate program, you can pause all your loans um, until you're done. And this way I wouldn't. So I, my loans come due from undergrad, which was a lot because we were poor, because we got married when we were little, right? And so we had all these loans that are now coming due. Now I, and, and there would be a lot of tuition. And this isn't the plan. It wasn't my plan. It wasn't where I thought God, it wasn't the trajectory I thought God wanted me to go. So I was like, God, I don't know. And so there were a lot of money tests connected to this. Um, and I'm like, all right, these are the things that we need. We need a car, because we didn't have a car. And we have, like, basically no money in the bank, right? Um, we need a car, and we need an apartment that's affordable for us to live in, in Minneapolis, because they're everywhere. And we need a, and I really want, this wasn't a need, but it was a desire. God, I would like to get out of seminary without accruing any more debt, which I don't know how that's going to happen. So I had three big things. A car, a cheap apartment, and not getting any more debt somehow during the three years of seminary. And, and God was like, if you take the step of faith and obey me and go to the master's institute like I'm calling you to, um, then you can trust me to take care of that other stuff. And I was like, all right. And so we went for it. And within a month, we were given a car for free. Now, this was the car I talked about last time that had a hole in the trunk and no gas cap and the hood would fly off. So we're not talking about a Benz, all right? Um, but it ran. And it burned through oil like crazy, but God healed it. And eventually it was making, like, in mid-50s miles per gallon um, and hardly ever broke down or had any problems at all. And this was like an old rust bucket Toyota from the 80s. Um, and so God gave us a free car. So that's one of the three things right there. And then we got an apartment, and I don't remember how much it was, um, but it was ridiculously cheap. The, the Seward, it, we lived in Riverside, Cedar Riverside neighborhood, downtown Minneapolis. It's called Little Somalia now, but, um, and it was then, too, but a little less so. Um, my parents didn't like me living there, or my mom anyway, because uh, she thought I was too violent. And she called one time, and she's like, Nate. I don't like you living in that part of town. I feel like I have to pray for you all the time just for protection. And I'm like, Mom, it's fine. It's totally safe. She's like, I'm watching the news right now. There's a murder in your buildings in the background. We're like, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I'm like, Mom, no, Mom, don't worry. That's really, really far from us. And I was lying. And she said, I see your building in the background. It's not far away. It's like, okay. Yeah, I'm like, it's not going to hit us. The, the trajectory is such that a bullet from down there is going to hit our ceiling. And I'd have to be leaning out the window to get hit. Don't worry about it. So I got her with math. Um, no. So, so God gave us a great apartment. Was it in the best neighborhood? Maybe not. But it did allow, allow me to talk to a lot of African immigrants and to understand a little bit about what their life is like, about where they came from, and about their plight. And now here I am, 10, 15 years later, working with Africans again. So, I mean... God knows what he's doing. So he got us that apartment, and it had a wait list of over a year. Over a year just for the wait list, okay? And it was really cheap, really, really, really cheap because it was um, federally subsidized for students, right? They needed a white family, and they, they didn't have their quota filled. It's affirmative action. Um, 
No, what it was is we knew someone who worked there. And she said to her boss, you need these people in your building. And so they just put our application at the top. And we skipped the queue of a whole year. We cheated. Okay? The word for that is favor. That is the biblical word for this, favor. It's when God is unfairly biased on your behalf. He is unfairly biased for your benefit, for you. That is favor. And the Bible says we have God's favor. But we can never learn what it looks like to walk in God's favor if we're always just walking in our comfortable place and we're afraid to do stuff. And if we're afraid to step out and make faith steps, it's when we step out and make those steps of faith that then God can prove that faith to us. He can show us his favor. He can show us miracles. He can give us stories that we share with other people when we step out. But I think uh, this is not a condemnation sermon or anything like that, but I think a lot of us maybe grew up on the tendency to bury that thing in the ground. <laughs> God, God's probably got enough money. He's fine. Or I'll, I'll just give this or I'll do that. But I'm not going to be real active about it. I'm not going to see myself as a steward. I'm not going to see everything I have as belonging to God. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't raised that way, for which I'm very thankful. But a lot of people were. And so this can be, this can be a hard transition for folks and a hard leap um, for some folks. Yeah, Ann. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, and sometimes it's more incremental than that. And also, what does give your whole life to the Lord mean? What does that really look like? Well, in reality, it's incremental. <laughs> we give him our whole life now, but then we do it again in two years when we're a very different person. I mean, so absolutely. And I think that you're right that a lot of people did grow up or even still have this weird kind of poverty mentality that being poor is more holy. And I think this is, you know, it's true with a lot of my more liberal friends, for sure, but I know some conservative friends who, who have this problem, too. 
and this idea that it's holy to be poor. Well, if it's so holy to be poor, why are we helping the people in Africa? Because they're like some of the poorest people in the world. That should make them the holiest people. We ought to stop helping them. Aren't we being evil? Helping them not be so poor? No, that's ridiculous. They are dying. Our goal is to make them not poor anymore. There's nothing inherently holy about being poor. Now, God is heart, God's heart is for the poor. The Bible is very clear on that. We are told we need to support them. We need to give to the poor. It, the Bible is very clear that we need to do those things. His heart is with the poor for sure. But this idea that it's more holy to be poor than not is silly. It's what's, what's right is to follow what God is calling you to do. And the Apostle Paul said, I've learned how to be content when I had plenty, and I've learned how to be content when I was wanting for everything. And sometimes we're in one, sometimes we're in the other, sometimes we're in the middle, and that's just life. You know, Jesus and his disciples, they didn't have plenty. They wandered around. They didn't have a bed to sleep in, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but that, that doesn't mean we're all called to do that all the time, right? Um, and so I think that those folks who were teaching that, they had this weird poverty stronghold thing, probably theological, but also I don't think they understood the generosity of God and the lavishness of God. And, and because if God is generous, then we become generous, and we allow God to be generous to us. But with that poverty mentality, you're not going to allow God to be generous to you. Because in your mind, that would be bad. And God's like, but I have all this stuff I want to give you. And you're like, no. And he's like, but I could use you to help all these people. And we say no. And that's, yeah, I can see why. It would take time and retraining of our brains to kind of get out from under something like that. Both of the Steves were raising their hands. Absolutely. Yeah. Steve. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the same principle applies to, to our natural gifts and our abilities, and it also applies to our time. You know? Um, we all want to covet our time and spend our time doing what we want to do, but sometimes God has us spend our time this or that or other places, um, and that can interrupt our schedule, and that can be really annoying, but sometimes that's what we need to do, right? Yeah. I would love for you to tell a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome.
easy to see. Yeah, it's measurable, literally. I think that's an excellent point, and that the, the, the guy who hid the talent was acting out of fear. He was afraid, right? And how often do we act that way with our finances? We're afraid. We're afraid we're not going to have enough, or we're not going to be able to do what we want to do. Or if I give all my, my resources to God, he's going to tell me I can't go to Disney World because all my money has to go to poor people. And so we're afraid. I know people like, who were like that. In college, I, I, I knew a girl who's like, I can't give all my life to God because he's probably going to tell me to go be a missionary in some stupid country, and I don't want to do that. Okay. Right, and that's, that's the other extreme. And so, so fear, obviously, fear is not the right motivation, okay? And that's what G Matthew 6 was all about. Don't be afraid. Don't operate out of fear. Don't make your decisions based on being afraid of not having enough money, being worried, being anxious. No, no, no. Trust me. I'm freaking God, people. Okay? I'm God. I made everything. You see, I am super smart. I literally know the future. I know how to get you out of this trouble. I might have actually gotten you into this trouble on purpose. And that's the reality of some of these money tests is God does some of them on purpose. Not all. Some are just life. Some he doesn't have to do on purpose because they just happen. <laughs> right? But whether they happen on purpose or whether they just happen in life, God uses that money test to build more trust, to increase our faith, and to increase our stewardship. So he's like, great, you have two talents right now. You've been doing good on stewardship. I'm so proud of you. And you've, gotten, you've got these two talents. But what I am calling you to do next year is going to take eight. You don't have eight. I can't just give you six. That's not how it works. Okay? This is a partnership thing. Sowing and reaping is how this works. And so I need you to take these two, and I need you to invest it here so that you can get four. And then I need you to invest it there so you can have eight. Because eight is where I need you to be next year. So are you with me? Are you on point? He doesn't tell it to us like that. Sometimes we wish he would. I usually wish he would do that. But that's not how faith works. Faith, faith isn't, here is a video of your future. Would you like to be a part of it? Faith is, this is what I'm calling you to do. Check yes or no <laughs> on the piece of paper. And we trust. That's what trust is. It's we don't see it, but we trust it anyway. But we do have to remember and understand that God does see the future. He knows. He knows what it is he's wanting us to do. And these money tests that we go through, the difficult ones we go through, the big faith steps that we go through, when he asks us to give a bunch of money or whatever it is, he's doing that for a reason. Okay? And it's not about the money. He's just using the money. And we never have to worry about it. And, and we, we were giving when we were newly married and very poor, and we were living on generic macaroni and cheese because we couldn't afford Kraft macaroni and cheese. Okay? We're living on generic stuff and generic tuna. My grandmother would, <laughs> my grandmother would go to the place where veterans, widows go to get free government food, and she would get the government food and give it to us. So, like, if you've never seen government food, it's like, if you've seen Lost, remember the Dharma food? It's exactly like that. It's white packages. It says meat on the front. And it's like cat food, reject. Okay? And it's like fake Velveeta. And they're all in these white boxes. It's hilarious. She would bring us all this food because we were so poor. <coughs> it was hilarious. We tried to eat most of it. Some of it we gave to the food shelf. Because um, we're not going to eat the meat. Because I don't eat anything that just says meat in it. That's scary. What kind of animals is this? I need to know before I eat it. 
<laughs> Think smaller and more legs. Um, so, but, so we were poor. So we were being faithful, but we were still poor at that time. So I'm not saying that being faithful means you're going to be rich. We can't, don't fall for this prosperity theology thing that tells you that if you're faithful, you're going to be rich, okay? We, when we were given a free car, it wasn't a Beamer. It was a piece of junk, rusty Toyota that ran wonderfully and blessed us, okay? And now we're in a position where we drive a really nice minivan. And we got our house. And I'll talk more about that testimony next week. We got our dream house. Been there for a year now, Okay? And a lot of that is because we've been faithful this whole time, these whole 20 years of sowing and reaping. And God, event, after asking God for a new house for 15 years, he eventually said, now's the time. I wanted it before, but I kept putting it up, putting it back up on the altar, putting it back up on the altar. And, and that's, that's how we need to live with our stuff. God will let you use some of his money on you. <laughs> I'm not saying he won't. But that needs to be God's decision. He's the master. We're just the steward, Right? And the more we ask him, the more we can do that. Um, and I'll end with this story on that subject. Um, when I was 17, God led me to start sponsoring a, a child through Compassion International. If you're familiar with Compassion and all, they're sort of like World Vision, and you pay X number of dollars a month. It was 17 bucks a month, I think, at that time, because I'm old. It's like 40 now. I still sponsor a child through Compassion. Um, but 17 bucks a month for me at that time, as a student who only worked a very, very little bit in the summer, that was like a lot of money, 17 bucks a, a month. That was like, I bought a CD every month with that money. Now I would have one less CD in my life. And that was a big problem for me. But God let me to do it. And so that was a sacrifice, okay? It was a big sacrifice to give that 17 bucks a month back then. Um, now those sacrifices are much bigger in terms of dollars. But they're not bigger in terms of percentage, if that makes sense. The widow gave two cents. It's not about the money. The two cents or the 17 or the five grand check. It's not about that. It's just about the obedience. And I said yes, and God taught me a lot about that. And it means I got less, fewer CDs, but it meant I was more blessed in other ways. Okay? And we're going to keep doing, going over this topic next week because there's more stuff that we want to do. And I think you guys probably have some questions and some specific things you'd maybe like us to talk about in terms of money and in terms of stewardship. So I'd love to hear what those are. And I'll, I'll talk about them next week. Okay? So if anybody has a specific question or maybe you want to give a little story or something like that or, or you want to do um, look at something specific, I have some, some other things that I want to go through and maybe your thing is on here, but maybe not. And so I'd like to cover that. Yeah, John. Hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's part of stewardship is learning that, learning that discipline, and I think it is a discipline, of contentment, of being content with where we're at. And the Apostle Paul had that, and he was good at it. Um, and we learned it because we were forced to <laughs> by being poor for a while. Um, other people didn't have that experience, but when I, when I talk to people and they're going through a time of extreme financial difficulty, 
I always encourage them and say, this is going to be a great time. You're going to look back on this and be really thankful for this time. And they look at me like I'm nuts. And I'm like, when we had nothing, and every month I would do the budget, and every month it was in the red. Every month we did not have enough money for what we needed that month. And yet every month we had everything we needed. How did that work? I don't know. There might have been some loaves and fishes stuff going on. I don't know what it was, but we always had enough. And God proved to us in those poor, difficult years, he proved to us that he is faithful. And he proved to us that we can trust him. And that is bankable and more valuable than money. Because now we can trust him with whatever else it is that's going on in our lives. <laughs> right. Yep. And I think that's one of the reasons he uses those money tests sometimes is to bring us to that desperation where we have to turn to him and we have to learn how to trust him. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> this isn't talk time, it's test time. That's a great analogy. I really like that. God's still with you. He's just in the back of the room watching. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think under, having a test point of view on life has helped me immensely. Because when I come into a conflict, I'm like, oh, when, when, my, when one of my kids is acting like a kid and just being the way they are, like, this is a patience test. Okay. Uh, I'm going to try to pass this. You know, having that outlook, it, it changes perspective, and it makes me far less "woe is me," wah wah wah, and much more like "okay, okay, let's do this. Let's get this done. We can pass this because I'm competitive, so I want to pass everything." All right, and I don't want to redo the same stupid test all the time. Seriously, people, pass your money test so you can get over it, and at least get to the next test, which is better. Okay. All right, let's, let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for giving us everything we have. We realize that all of us sitting here have so much more than most people in the whole rest of the world, and we don't want to take that for granted. We, we thank you for what you've given us, and I pray that for those who grew up with some sort of a poverty mentality, um, I pray that you would break that in Jesus' name and help us to embrace a mentality of generosity and see you as the generous, giving, loving God that you are. And for those of us who, who didn't grow up with an understanding of stewardship, that everything we had belongs to you, I pray that you would give us that um, and help us see that in our own lives. And I pray that over the next week that you would remind all of us of the ways that you have proven yourself faithful in our life in terms of money. So often we ask and we ask and we beg, and then when we get it, we forget it. Forget all about it. So Holy Spirit, I ask that over this next week, you would remind all of us of different times in our lives where you said, oh, Lord, I really need this, and you came through.
and proved yourself faithful. I pray that you would remind us of that to, to build that faith up again. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.